Good morning. If you have a Bible, if you turn to 2 Samuel chapter 23, 2 Samuel 23, we'll be looking at that passage for just a couple minutes today. So we'll be reading verses 1 to 7. Now these are the last words of David, the oracle of David, the son of Jesse, the oracle of the man who was raised on high, the anointed of the God of Jacob, the sweet psalmist of Israel. The spirit of the Lord speaks to me. His word is on my tongue. The God of Israel has spoken. The rock of Israel has said to me, when one rules justly over men, ruling in the fear of God, he dawns on them like the morning light, like the sun shining forth on a cloudless morning, like rain that makes grass to sprout from the earth. For does not my house stand so with God? For he has made with me an everlasting covenant, ordered in all things and secure. For will he not cause to prosper all my help and desire? But worthless men are like thorns that are thrown away, for they cannot be taken with the hand. But the man who touches them arms himself with iron in the shaft of the spear, and they're utterly consumed with fire. Well, I think that we have a leadership and authority problem in the United States. And when I say that, I'm not being political. I don't have one person or persons in mind, but we have an authority problem. We have a leadership problem. There's a study that's done uh, every once in a while called the National Study of Confidence and Leadership. The latest data I could find was from a few years ago, but it tracks the public's uh, perception of American leadership. And in the study that from 2012, they found that 69% of Americans think we have a leadership crisis in the country today. 70% agree that unless we get better leaders, the U.S. will decline as a nation. 68% disagree with this statement. Overall, our country's leaders are effective and do a good job. 81% of those surveyed feel that the problems we face today can be solved through through effective leadership. Now, that was in 2012, before COVID-19, before the polarization of our culture that we're experiencing today. And this isn't, again, it's not a political statement about one party or the other, But we have a leadership problem in our country, an authority problem. And it'd be nice to think that it's just kind of confined to our political sphere, to our government, but I think that we have a leadership problem in all aspects of life. And oftentimes when we experience bad leadership, our kind of knee-jerk reaction is either to ignore that leadership or to reject that leadership. When I was in seminary, I worked a couple part-time jobs, and in the one part-time job, it was in food service, and the boss was very good. He was a very good manager, and he was very clear about what he expected of us. Uh, first day we came in, we were issued, issued uniforms, non-skid uh, shoes. We were told we had to wear a hat or a hairnet, and we were given specific expectations about what, we're going, what we were to be doing, how we were going to sanitize certain uh, items. And every, every time I went there, I knew exactly what I should be doing. And I usually worked on Wednesday nights, and my boss wasn't even there. And the students would often work together, and everybody just did their job because they knew exactly what was expected of them. That was the one job. Then the other job, I had a boss who I really liked. He was a really nice guy, but he was a very poor manager. So I wasn't given any kind of indication of what I should be wearing, what I shouldn't be wearing coming to work. He just kind of left left that up to me. And so I'd come to work, and I'd sit at my desk, and I'd say, okay, what do you want me to do? He said, well, I don't really have anything for you to do right now. Just, Just hang tight. 
So at the beginning, I'd, I'd sit there and I'm like, all right, I'm, I'm here to work. I'm getting paid to work. Um, I'm just going to wait for him to tell me what to do. So I just kind of sat there and stared at the wall. I'm like, I didn't real, really feel comfortable, you know, like doing schoolwork or going on the Internet or whatever. I'm getting paid to do this, so I'm just kind of sitting there waiting for him to tell me what to do. But then, like, I come the next shift. I don't really have anything for you to do. It happens again. I, I don't really have much for you to do. And then he'd give me something to do and maybe take, you know, 10 minutes to do, and I'd have, like, a three-hour shift. So after a while, I just came with the expectation that I was just going to do whatever I wanted to do. I'd just play on the computer. I'd bring schoolwork, do whatever I wanted to do, because he didn't tell me anything to do. Then, occasionally, he would. And in my mind, when he told me something that I was supposed to do, I kind of rejected it. I'm like, huh, work? Like, I have all this stuff that I'm doing. Now, I mean, initially, I came in ready to work. And I'm like, all right, whatever he wants me to do, I'm ready to do it. But after this pattern of just letting me just do whatever I want, when he asked me to do something, of course, I went along and did it. But in my mind, I'm like, oh, I got to do work? Because sometimes when we experience a failure in leadership, we reject or ignore that authority. And I think that that kind of attitude is woven into our DNA as a culture, as a society. We're children of the revolution. Our country was built on this idea that there was bad leadership in England, and we overthrew that leadership and replaced those leaders because they weren't allowing us to be represented. In our current state, the government doesn't, does something that we don't like, and we say he or she doesn't have the right to do that. He or she can't tell me what to do, and we say we need new leaders. We need to replace these leaders. And in a sense, there's nothing wrong with that. That's the beauty of the democratic system that we live in. But I think we take that idea and we kind of allow it to influence all other different areas of our life. For example, some people allow it to influence the church. There are many Christian leaders out there who have done terrible things, maybe embezzled money or uh, had an adultery with a secretary or um, bullied uh, parishioners of all these different sorts of things that you've seen on the news where these high-profile uh, pastors do things like that. And then as a culture, sometimes what we do is we reject any kind of authority of the church, and we go even further than that, and we might even reject the authority of God. I, I read an article... Uh, a couple weeks ago from a college president and he was describing how he gave this message on loving one's neighbor and after the message this student came up and said how he felt victimized by the sermon apparently the sermon made him feel bad about himself because he wasn't loving his neighbor as he should be loving his neighbor and he felt bad about himself and he felt incumbent he felt that he should go and talk to this president to set him straight because this president wasn't talking nicely to him. This president was challenging his notions. And I, I, th I think that's an extreme example, but I think we're moving in a culture to a place where we're rejecting any kind of authority, any kind of conviction in our life. We reject it. It's like nothing is binding or nothing is set in stone. There's actually a new religion that was invented by a Massachusetts psychologist called Yaoism. And it's a system of beliefs that's growing in popularity, and it's based on the open source principle, uh, which the most famous example of that is Wikipedia, where you, know, you can go on the internet and anybody can edit the articles in Wikipedia. And they take that 
to the spiritual realm where that everybody can contribute and add to the spiritual ideas. And there's not one way that's right. There's not one way that's wrong. That we just kind of put all of our ideas together. That the wisdom of man supersedes any written tradition or any word from God. And we just put those ideas together and then we come to a closer version of the truth. Its patron saints are Bob Dylan, Albert Einstein, and Sigmund Freud. Dan Kriegman, who founded Yahwism in 1994, said that he did so because he wanted to make religion open to change and responsive to the wisdom of people everywhere. He said, I don't think anyone's ever complained about something that didn't lead to some revision or clarification. He says, everywhere, conscious, sentient spirit is divine and has direct access to truth. Open source embodies that. There is no authority. It's something that's happened in the realm of the home. We've had uh, many experiences with fathers who haven't fulfilled their God-ordained role of leadership in the home. Many have experienced fathers who have abused them or neglected them. And as a culture, what we've done is we've rejected the whole even notion of fatherhood, that fathers have any unique leadership role in the home. And we treat fathers as being completely the same as mothers. And so we see bad leadership, and then we reject any form of leadership. And so what we're left with is a near rejection of any standard of authority. But I think the problem is, is that in our heart of hearts, we're longing for leaders. We're longing for people who will guide us, people who will protect us, people who will stick their neck out and show us what way to go. But we're conflicted because we don't really want to go their way. We want to go our own way. I think we're a little bit like Ryan from The Office. Check out his, this clip here about his opinion on leadership. I got away with everything under the last boss, and it wasn't good for me at all. So I want guidance. I want leadership. But don't just, like, boss me around, you know? Like, lead me. Lead me when I'm in the mood to be led. We want leadership. We want it on our own terms. I got away with everything He's back. under the last <laughs> boss, and it wasn't good for me. We want it on our own terms. And I think in, as we look at this passage today, we see the leadership that we all long for. And this passage points us to the true and perfect leader. This passage is written by David. It says in verse 1 that this is uh, his last words. And when it says it's his last words, it's probably not his last, the last words that he uttered in his life. There's a number of things that happened after uh, these events. Uh, but most likely what it's talking about is that it's his last public pronouncements, his last words of wisdom that he gave to the people. And he starts by saying that the spirit of the Lord is upon him. The spirit of the Lord speaks to me. He says his word is on my tongue. And in essence, what he's saying is he's saying that what I'm about to say is not my own opinion or my own perspective alone, but it's something that's from God. And then he goes on to declare what true leadership is all about. He says, when one rules justly over men, ruling in the fear of God, he dawns on them like the morning light, like the sun shining forth on the cloudless morning, like a rain that makes grass to sprout from the earth. And so the idea is that when one is under the authority, authority that is just and righteous, that person will flourish and be productive in their life. 
When I think about this image of what David is talking about, I think about my garden. And in a sense, you might say that I'm the king or the ruler of my garden because I decide which plants to plant. I decide how to take care of those plants. So you could say I'm the ruler of the garden. And so I have these flowers that I start growing in in the wintertime. I started them last year in like March. I took them at the seeds and put them in these little seed pods. And then I put this uh, heating mat underneath it to make the seeds germinate. And so I, then I put plant lights on them. And then after they got to a certain size, then I would put, move them into little bigger pots and then little bigger pots. And then finally, when it was time to put them outside, I would put them outside slowly so they wouldn't get burned or uh, be scorched by the wind. And so I'd bring them out slowly. And then once I bring them out there, then I make sure they're watered every day and then fertilize them occasionally, occasionally prune them. And then the idea, at least in theory, is that these flowers would be nice and lush and beautiful. But that's very different than the way that I treat other plants in my garden, weeds. If I see a weed in the garden, I have another way of handling that. I go to the garage and I have the spray bottle filled with this 30% vinegar spray. It's like six times the strength of normal vinegar. And so if you go out on a sunny, hot day and spray these weeds, then you come back within about an hour or two, and they're just completely dried out, completely dead. I think that's two different images of leadership, two different images of rulers. One that causes the subjects to flourish and one that causes the, flood, the, the subjects to literally dry out, that their souls to be scorched. Unfortunately, many of us, probably all of us, have experienced bad leadership. Maybe it's a father who abandoned us, father who walked out on us, father who ignored us. Maybe it's a spouse who promised to be with us forever and uh, chose to leave us. Maybe it's a coach or teacher who didn't treat us fairly. Maybe it's a boss who saw how hard we worked, saw all the skills and the things we had to offer, and yet chose to promote somebody else rather than us. We've all experienced bad leadership. And I think if we're honest, it's probably not so much that there's good leaders and bad leaders, that there are bad leaders and there's better leaders. I mean, think about it this way. If I were to ask you, who is the greatest king in Israel's history? You'd probably say King David. And that's a good answer. That's probably the correct answer. And there were times in David's life where he ruled justly where he was following after God with all of his heart, but then there were other times where he was just going his own way, where he was not leading with justice or righteousness, that he was not this king who rules justly over men in the fear of the Lord. And so I think David kind of points us in this passage, and this prophecy points us not just to himself, but to a greater king, a perfect and just and righteous king that we all long for, King Jesus. Look at what the prophet Isaiah says about the king who is to come. Isaiah 9, 6-7 says this, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given. The government shall be on his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government, there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. 
So this passage is not just about how David is a good king and how people flourished under his reign. It points us to a true and greater king. And even in this passage in verse 5, David acknowledges that the fact that he's a king and the fact that he is in this line of just kings is not because of what he did, but because of the covenant that God had made with him, because of the grace that God had shown him. And so this King Jesus is the king that we all long for. Jesus comes to the earth and he's born in a manger. King born in the manger. Nobody would imagine such a thing. He comes to the earth declaring the kingdom of God. In Matthew chapter 5 to 7, he comes and declares what many have called the kingdom manifesto. He describes what the kingdom of God is like. He describes what life is like under God's rule. He said, you have heard that it was said such and such, but I tell you, such and such. He redefines what it means to be just. And then not only does he declare what the kingdom of God is like, but then he goes and he dies a sacrificial death on the cross for us. And then three days later, he rises again as a victorious king over sin and death. And then he says in Matthew chapter 28, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Jesus is the true and just king. But I think that we have a problem. I think we've lived so long in the United States of America and we're so familiar with the authority that is over us that we treat Jesus differently than we might treat a king, that we should treat a king. And it's almost like we treat Jesus as we might treat a president rather than treating him as a king. Now you think about a president or a presidential candidate. The president gives speeches and what is the president looking for? The president look, is looking for support. He's looking for votes. He's looking for you to put a bumper sticker on the back of your car, to put a sign in your yard. He's looking for your support, not necessarily your obedience, because he's running for election. He wants your vote. But Jesus isn't running for election. He's not looking for our vote of confidence. He's not looking for our support. He's looking for our obedience. And we need to stop treating Jesus as we tr might treat a president and start treating him like we treat a king. Because Jesus is looking for our obedience. In our country, we have a problem with authority. And sometimes we have this attitude, nobody is going to tell me what I'm going to do. And we translate that over to spiritual things. And we say, maybe we don't even say it, but we just kind of do whatever we're going to do when we don't let God to influence our decisions. We don't follow him. We don't obey him because we want to do things our own way. We don't want a book that was written 2,000 years ago to affect how we live our lives today. But here's the thing. See, when we do that, we're missing out on something very important. Because when we do that, when we fail to obey King Jesus, we're really obeying some other king. You have to serve someone. You're either obeying Jesus or you'll be obeying something else. And all other kings are just going to drain us spiritually, are going to wither our souls. And so if we're not obeying King Jesus, we're missing out on that opportunity to live in the fullness and the grace and the joy of living under his reign, to allow our souls to flourish under his leadership. As a pastor, I've encountered many different types of people, and there's one set of people that I've, you know, this happens, happens a number of times, where people will come to me, and they'll share all of the problems of things that are happening in their life. And they'll say, well, this bad thing happened, this bad thing happened, this bad th thing happened, 
And why would God allow this to happen? And sometimes I look at their life and it's like, all right, you're not following after God. You're not in community. You have clear evidences that you're going your own way and yet you want God to bless you. You want to have peace. You want to have joy. But Jesus isn't going to accept anything other than our unconditional obedience. He wants our unconditional obedience. We can't go our own way and serve other masters and then expect him to bless us. He longs for our unconditional obedience. And yet that's something that we kind of reject as a culture. As Americans, we hear unconditional obedience and we're like, I don't think so. Maybe a vote of confidence, maybe some support, maybe a donation, maybe a little something here and there, but unconditional obedience, I, I don't think so. As Americans, we don't like that idea of unconditional obedience. But I think that there's two reasons why obedience is difficult. The first reason why obedience to leaders is difficult is because we don't believe that those leaders know what they're doing. We don't believe that they know what they're doing. We don't believe they have the wisdom that they need to lead. Second, we don't believe that those leaders have our best interests in mind. But we see in King Jesus a king who knows the end from the beginning, who sees light even in the midst of darkness, who loved us so much that he gave his life for us so that we might experience grace and hope. He knows what he's doing. He's working for our good. There's a man by the name of uh, Robert Kumpersmith and he, when he was 81 years old, he was flying with a friend. He had never uh, flown an airplane before. He was flying as a passenger. And while he was flying, his friend, who was a 52-year-old man, all of a sudden just died right on the spot, just slumped over while he was flying the plane and died. Comfort Smith quickly grabbed control of the plane and was able, as it was nosediving, was able to stabilize it, but he has no idea how to fly a plane. So frantically, he he called a mayday on the radio and there was two pilots who were nearby and they directed him where to go. They directed him which airport to go to, the closest airport, and they gave him very detailed, specific instructions for how to steer, how to maintain altitude, and most importantly, they were preparing him for how to land. And he listened to every word that they said intently as if his life depended upon it because, of course, it did. He came in to land and everybody was kind of holding their breath because that was the most difficult part. And he came to land, his, the nose of the plane hit the runway, bounced a couple times, the back of the plane kind of popped up, and then he went off into a, uh, this kind of uh, soggy grass area and miraculously he was saved without being harmed at all. So I have a question for you. Do you think it was hard for him to obey? Do you think it was hard for him to listen to the instruction of those uh, pilots who were telling him what to do? Do you think as they were telling him which buttons to press, he thought in his mind, well, I know they're telling me to press this button, but I think I should press this button over here. I don't think that came to his mind. He had no problem, problem obeying because he had never flown before. He didn't know how to fly, and he was talking to someone who did know how to fly. Ladies and gentlemen, we don't know how to fly. We don't know how to live lives on our own, but we know someone who does. We know someone who lived a perfect life, died on the cross for us, who gave everything for us. And he's given us his instructions. He's given us 
uh, commands on how to allow our lives to flourish under his leadership. And how foolish would we be not to obey him? See, Jesus is a king who is safe to obey. All other rulers, you look at them and they're like, okay, maybe they don't know what they're doing. Maybe they're not really out for me. Maybe they're out for themselves. Maybe they're out for somebody else. But we look at King Jesus and he is the only one who it's truly safe to obey. Because he's just. He knows the end from the beginning. And he's given everything for us. And the question that I have for us to consider today is what are we holding back from King Jesus? Maybe there's somebody here or somebody who's listening online who's never given the control of our, control of our life to Jesus Christ. Maybe we've never turned from our sins and put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ. Maybe we've never said to God in our heart of hearts, God, I want to follow you. I believe that you died for me. I believe that you're the only one who could bring me to heaven. Maybe there's some today who might change, who might turn from their sins and put their faith in Christ. And if there's anybody here or listening, I'd love to talk to you more about that. Or Pastor, uh, Pastor uh, Phil or Patrick would love to talk to you more about that. But for others, maybe there's areas of our lives that we're holding back. Maybe there's areas of our life where we're still the king. Where we've said no to Jesus. Where you've said, okay, Jesus, you can have this, you can have that, but you can't go here. When we do that, we're missing out on something incredible. We're missing out on the opportunity for God to heal us. We're missing out on the opportunity to flourish under King Jesus' reign. Why are you holding back? Are we afraid that he doesn't know what he's doing? Are we afraid that he doesn't care about us? Either way, we can look to the cross. We can bring those things to the cross. Where God brought the most difficult and darkest circumstance and used it for good and declared once and for all that he loved us. I'd like to close by reading a passage from Revelation. Describes our great king that we serve. It says, Then I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse. The one sitting on it was called Faithful and True, and in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes are like a flame of fire, and on his head are many diadems. And he has a name written that no one knows but himself. He's clothed in a robe dipped in blood. The name by which he is called is the Word of God. And the armies of heaven, arrayed in fine linen, white and pure, were following him on white horses. From his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations. And he will rule them with a rod of iron. He will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God Almighty. On his robe and on his thigh he has a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Behold our king, a king who is infinitely powerful, infinitely mighty, but also infinitely good. The only king who is safe to obey. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you that you are the king over every king. That we are, you are the king no matter if we acknowledge that or not. That you are the king now and you're on your throne and you will always be on your throne no matter what is happening among the affairs of men. Lord, I pray that we would take comfort in that, that you are the King of kings, you are the Lord and Lord of lords, you are the true and just and righteous one who rules justly over the affairs of men. Lord, I pray that we would trust in you, 
Lord, I pray that we would give all areas over to your leadership. Lord, for all of us here today, for those who maybe have never given control of their lives to you, today would be the day that they would turn to you. For those of us who are believers, Lord, I pray that we would turn to you, that if there's any areas of our life that we're holding back, that we would submit that to your leadership. And we trust by faith that as we do that, you will allow our souls to grow and heal and expand in ways that we never thought possible. In Christ's name I pray. Amen.